Hi folks, welcome to the Happy Saver podcast. Your friends might not want to talk about their journey with money, but I sure do. I'm Ruth and I'm a blogger on personal finance in New Zealand and in this podcast series I tell the stories of Kiwis and their experiences with the money in their lives. Today I want to tell you about Ashley and her action-packed and interesting journey into a whole heap of complicated debt and her brave journey out of it. But before I do that, I want to share a quick message from today's sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Superlife Invest. I used to be scared to invest because I didn't understand how I could do it myself, so cash just sat around in my bank account earning very little, but I knew that I was missing out on investment returns by not taking action. Superlife Invest offer a broad range of investment options that make it easy for you to invest, whether it's for the very first time or for seasoned investors. You can pick and mix funds to make up a portfolio or keep it super simple by choosing a managed fund that suits your risk profile. Their fees are low, you can adjust your portfolio at any old time free of charge and keep track of your balance using their awesome mobile app. It is actually really easy to become an investor, you just have to take action and make a start. Go on, you know you can do it. So jump onto superlife.co.nz to sign up in minutes and download a copy of the product disclosure statement and choose Superlife, which is managed by SmartShares, for your savings and investments. Now, today I'm telling you about the conversation I had with Ashley. Now, Ashley, that is not her real name, but I chose it because of a kick-butt woman I read about in my daughter's book, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. I enjoy finding pseudonyms for people who want to remain anonymous on my podcast, and in my daughter's book, Ashley became a motocross racer against many odds. When she fell off, which she frequently did, even when she broke her arm and many other bones, she got back on the bike and she gave it hell, much like the woman I speak about today. Now the Ashley I'm about to tell you about, she loves horses and broke her arm when she fell off it. Uh, She used to ride motorbikes uh, without incident, thank goodness, and in her life journey, every time she has hit a bump in the road, she literally picked herself up again and got back in the saddle. And life has knocked her down a fair few times, but up she pops again. I will link to that book actually, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, in the show notes as well because it is a must-read for any 8 to 13-year-old girl in your life. It's full of really heroic stories about women, which is awesome. Now, our Ashley is 45 and she lives in the Wellington region and she spoke to me from her home that looks out over the sea on the west coast of the island. On a good day, she tells me she can see the top of the South Island and she also told me that she is most happy when she can see where the sea and the horizon meet and that image sits pretty well with me too. She did that Kiwi thing in her 20s and took herself off to London to explore and work or blag her way into work, as she told me. Also a very Kiwi way of getting a job. And she found herself an amazing job in London, which she loved, but then her thoughts began to roam to what next? What else is out there and what else is there to see? As the London winter began to bite, a thought occurred to her to hit the road and travel to escape the cold. So as a backpacker, she had previously passed through Spain and while riding a horse on a gorgeous beach, she distinctly heard a voice in her head telling her, come and live here. Now, have I mentioned yet that Ashley has the gift of the gab? And throughout our conversation, she detailed many instances where just asking the right questions got her the right job, the right to a pay rise or to a new opportunity. Well, she managed to talk her London employer into letting her continue to work for them remotely while she travelled. So, just after the year 2000, it was back to Spain she went. 
Before she left New Zealand, she actually majored in computer-aided design as part of her fashion course, and that helped her to get into the whole computer world of CD-ROM animation, coding, and website design. It was the precursor to everything being done online, and already in these early stages, this industry was shaping into the agile one that it is today. That is, you can work remotely, and she bounced her way around England and Scotland, and a few more white lies were needed to secure herself the job of her dreams, which involved a horse in Spain, and it went a little bit like this. Now, I'm going to butcher the Spanish language here, so that should give a pretty fair representation of what Ashley did too. Hablas Español, do you speak Spanish? Her prospective employer asked. Un poco? A little, she replied. Puedes montar un caballo? Can you ride a horse? They asked. Si, yes, she outright lied. Now, as soon as a job was offered and she was given the call to head to Spain, all of those little white lies suddenly felt very real. She had been trying to learn Spanish and was failing miserably at it. And no sooner had she slung a leg over her new employer's horse, the game was up because, no, she couldn't ride a horse either. But she could design websites, so that is how she was able to help her employer and demonstrate her worth. She had free food and accommodation, which was a huge bonus, and in return she created websites and also took small writing groups out, and she just mucked in and did whatever needed to be done. And she told me she learned so much at this job and has kept in touch with that employer ever since. And by night, she animated CD-ROMs, remember those things, um, for the company that employed her back in London. It was a busy time, but a sweet deal, and it was while she was earning in pounds but living so very cheaply in Spain that a thought occurred to her that this might just be the way to get ahead financially. She was dwelling on the fringes of this retire-early concept that we know so much about today. But alas, it was not to be. It turns out that even if you earn good money and your living costs are minute, having a fabulous time can get kind of expensive. So when she did eventually come back to New Zealand, she was poor, having spent all her money on travel and good times. Good times indeed. That is what a great OE is all about, right? Now, I used to notice that when friends of mine returned from overseas, they often found it hard to find their place back home in New Zealand, and Ashley was no exception. She moved in with her mum and wanted to keep designing and building websites and work out if she could build a business with it. This was a struggle as her mum didn't understand her daughter's career choice and why she was spending hours upon hours clicking away at her computer. So just as Ashley was getting her business up and running, her mum kicked her out of home because she thought she was being a bit of a bum. Now, because what her mum didn't realise, as a lot of creative types do, she was actually spending a lot of her time teaching herself the skills she needed to keep working in the career that she was really enjoying. Now, I am married to one of these creative types who does similar work to Ashley, and I'll regularly come home and he will say, yeah, I've not done any paid work today, but I've spent a lot of time thinking, and they need this thinking time in order to be creative and attract paid work. It's just how it goes. So, now living in a backpacker's, by day she went from business to business, often parking her motorbike around the corner, which would give her time to smarten up her appearance so she presented well, and then offering her web design skills to businesses. And by night, she would be at home learning, designing, coding, and animating for those businesses. She had a lot of self-doubt, a lot of rejection, but it was simple, hard graft and her gift of the gab that saw her fledgling business begin to grow. And she reached a point where she joined up professionally with another programmer to cope with the amount of work that she was securing and together they did quite well and the decision was made to move the business to Wellington. 
Although Ashley's dream had never been to get married and settle down, this is what she began to do when she and her partner decided they wanted to buy a house in Wellington as she was sick of the unreliability of renting houses. She was actually booted out three times when the property was sold or the owner decided to move back in. To save up for the deposit, they rented a six-bedroom property. They squeezed into the smallest room, which they paid just $80 for, and they rented out the remainder of the house. With her business struggling along and her partner's career not being particularly high-earning and some extra money from flatmates, they did manage to scrape together just enough for a house deposit of $10,000. A $10,000 house deposit? Yep, those were the days, eh? They looked and looked and looked for houses in their price range, which was low. (laughs) Hindsight showed that they were house hunting in a housing boom cycle and they ended up buying almost at the top. Because she was so focused on growing her Wellington business, she lost interest in looking at houses and she said to her soon-to-be husband, I just give up, you find us a house. Eventually, in 2007, he found a house for sale privately with the stunning sea views that I've already mentioned, and they bought at the very top of their budget for the princely sum of $274,000. I know what you're thinking. It does not sound like a lot in today's market, but back then it certainly was. In a side note, they had to get out of their rental before they were due to take possession of their new home, so they actually lived with the current owner for three days before they took over And he charged them rent. And I can't believe that. What a crazy situation to find themselves in. I can't believe that A, they moved in and B, that they were about to hand the guy $274,000 and he still charged them three days rent. Their mortgage was with the Nelson Building Society, the bank her in-laws were with, and mortgage payments were always a real struggle. And from the outset, because they were deemed high risk due to his low income and her variable paychecks, they were charged an additional 0.5% interest. And Ashley actually joked that they were the reason the loan-to-value ratio rates have since increased in New Zealand. Too many bright young things crippling themselves under the weight of their mortgages. Now she recalls that their interest rate was probably 6.5% and they had the whole mortgage on that fixed rate for the term of 25 long years and her in-laws very kindly acted as guarantors. And after two years of being homeowners they decided to get married and they arranged a cheap but fun wedding. How cheap? I had to ask because my benchmark for weddings is $100 purely because that is what it cost me to get married. But because of her fashion design training, she designed her dress and a friend helped her make it for about $300. Their guests enjoyed a smorgasbord. She bartered her web design skills for a photographer. Their dog was the ring bearer, which saved on flower girls and was super cute, I'm sure. And the total bill was probably about $5,000. But Ashley and her husband had so much going on and something had to give. Their marriage began to fail after just a year and he wanted out of the marriage and he wanted his money out of the house as well. But because her business was experiencing highs and lows, in her first year she only earned $33,000, her business was not performing as strongly as she would have liked and she was just not in a position to buy him out and the bank would never let her take on the mortgage alone due to her low income. So a legal agreement was drawn up that she could stay in the house with his name on the title if she paid the mortgage. They managed to move the mortgage to Kiwi Bank and secure a better interest rate and, once again, she fixed the entire amount. For the next six months, she hustled at work and scraped enough money together to make her payments, but it was painfully tough. 
Ashley remembers one time when she was not going to have enough to make the payment to the bank and she was exactly $100 short. Inexplicably, she looked in the teapot she had sitting on a shelf. It was her grandmother's. She lifted the lid and inside was a check they had received from a friend at their wedding. She had put it there for safekeeping and you guessed it. It was for $100 and was days away from being too old to present at the bank. So with an enormous sense of relief, she just squeaked through that month But speaking with her, I could feel in her voice the huge amount of pressure she was under month after month. She was still investing heavily in her business, both in terms of money and her time. To help grow her business, she teamed up with a business coach to guide her and give her direction. She found someone who she believed was the perfect fit for her. Only problem was her business needed a turnover of a million dollars for him to work with Ashley. This was certainly not the case, but because she possesses the gift of the gab, she nagged and cajoled him until he said yes, and he taught her some kick-ass selling skills that are still in use today. And as her turnover grew, she began to work more on the business than in it, and she began to take on staff. But she was still doing it tough. She paid herself the smallest amount she could to scrape by, so she could have money to pay her staff and every cent went into making the business a success. But unfortunately, cash flow became so tight that it reached a crisis point and she had to let a very valued and valuable staff member go. Now losing her was a huge loss and once again, Ashley pulled up her sleeves and got stuck into working in the business. You know how when you listen to an American podcast where they tell you that they are experiencing such hardship that they have to resort to eating ramen noodles, breakfast, lunch and dinner? Well, for Ashley, it was wheat bix that Kiwi favourite. She had it three meals a day so she could shave every expense out of her life. She said that she was filling up on wheat bix putting on lipstick and heading to work to hustle and sell. She said it was just such a desperate facade and you can't run a business with that kind of desperation about you. But like a phoenix rising from the ashes, the business grew because with her tummy full of wheat bicks and her lipstick covered smile in place, she got out there selling again. And she was once again in a position to hire and despite her business coach urging her to hire contractors, which she also did do, she also offered a job to an old boss of hers from London as well. Now this woman was a good friend who was not enjoying her workplace and had just gone through a breakup. So without even crunching the numbers, Ashley employed her because she knew she would be good for business and as a friend she needed support, which was a mistake. Not because her friend was useless, she was exactly the opposite, but because at that time the business couldn't afford her. And once again, things started to unravel and this time she could not build it back up. She had struggled to keep all the balls in the air, but they were falling to the ground all around her. In what she refers to as the worst day of her life, she had to let her UK friend go as she had no money to pay her. I asked her if she took on flatmates at this time, like she had done in the past when renting, to help get some money in, but she said that she likes her own personal space and her home, and those views of the sea became her sanctuary, and given her marriage split and her failing business, it was just the one place that she could go to grieve. And over a six-month period, she lived more frugally than she ever had before as she shut down her company while retaining just a few very select clients to work with herself. And she also extracted herself from a lease car agreement, which saw her paying $2,000 a month for two cars that she no longer needed. She said she was in such a state with stress that she literally 
didn't know how she was going to feed herself. And she was so ashamed because she had such bright ambitions for her business and really loved what she was doing. But each week she was slipping deeper and deeper into debt. But when you hit the bottom, which she definitely did at this time, there is only one direction you can go and that is upwards. Her London friend told her about a job opportunity with just a three-month contract and she jumped at the chance to interview for it. She went along and she said when her back is against the wall, she could not go down any lower, so she got bold and in the interview she fought her corner and she negotiated a pay rate of $35 an hour. This was far less than her usual pay rate, but the very best that she could manage in the circumstances. And for a short period of time, at least, she knew where the next paycheck was coming from. After her day job, once again, she was going home at night and working on the websites of the clients she had retained and had the ability to bring her in about $2,000 a month. And she started chipping away at the $45,000 of personal debt that she had taken on to keep the business afloat. She said that thankfully, she had never taken on credit card debt. She lived well within her means, ate a lot of wheat bix and was in her words too shit scared to take on any more debt. Carrying a mortgage by herself and this personal debt was more than enough, thank you very much. But she did restructure once again some of the debt she had and this time with the bank of mum. Her mother agreed to lend her the full amount she owed on her personal debt at a fixed interest rate and they created a legal agreement where an automatic payment went to her mum each and every fortnight without fail. Ashley said that over the years she had built up a good credit rating with the old girl and she remains very grateful that her mother helped her out. She got a permanent job, she met her debt obligations to both her mum and the bank and she saved the remainder. But she didn't stop her frugal ways. Her ex, he remained on the title of the house and he continued to be a pain, as exes tend to do. Finally, to extricate herself from her ex-husband, she sought the advice of the Citizens Advice Bureau and they settled on an agreement to get him out. Now that she was in steady permanent employment, a bank was happier to have her as a client. So for the final time, she remortgaged and she got him off the title and off her back for good. It took her years to get rid of him and probably acts as a warning to the rest of us that one of the riskiest financial decisions you can make is to marry someone. So make sure you choose carefully, ladies and gents. After all this was said and done, she had a $177,000 mortgage to pay back on a property that had been purchased for $274,000. And from this point on, Ashley continued to secure more permanent work with a variety of organisations, and with each contract she fulfilled, she gained both experience and, most importantly, confidence. She lived a very frugal life, throwing everything she had at her debt, over 50% of her pay each month. And she used an offset mortgage and as soon as she signed the new mortgage, she decided she would give herself five years to pay off the total amount of $177,000, that's $35,000 per year. Her uncle said to her that if you bite off more than you can chew, then you just need to chew like hell. So she chewed like hell and in her own words, she caned her debt. And not only did she cane her debt, but while she was paying it down, in the time frame she had set herself, she was still working hard on an ever-improving hourly rate and was stockpiling cash as well. And this journey of financing and refinancing and trying to get banks and lenders called mum on side and begging and borrowing money really sealed the deal with her that she didn't want to be beholden to anyone anymore. She just knuckled down and killed her own debt and decided no other bank would ever tell her what to do. And in December 2017, she became debt free and her attitude is that she hates debt and she is really scared of it and she thinks that there is no such thing as good debt. 
Ashley's story had a lot of detail in it of the twists and the turns of her business, the wins and the losses, and then building up a career working for others where money was offered that didn't eventuate, where she had to constantly fight to be paid a fair wage for her skills and experience, and being made redundant while she still had a mortgage, only to find a contract a week later. Staying afloat and moving forward took an enormous amount of energy and hustling that was needed to keep on top of the payments to keep her house, and it struck me that it is extraordinary the lengths that people will go to to own a house. I don't think I could have persevered like she did. She learned as she went along that women settle for less when it comes to remuneration in the workplace. She went for a pay rise and got the usual story of no money in the budget, sorry, even though they said that after a year she would get one. They broke their promise to her and that got on her wick, so she fought for her pay rise, especially when she learned that she was on $80 an hour and her male colleagues were on 100 One of the points that she wanted to get across clearly when we spoke is that women are undervalued and we all need to learn, like she learned, that you have to negotiate hard because if you don't ask, you most certainly will not get. She said that because you're a female, make sure you know your worth and make sure you are as educated as your other half and don't leave all the money decisions to them. I was not surprised to hear that she got the pay rise she wanted and today when she is looking for work she negotiates her remuneration extremely hard and I 100% agree with her that it is a skill that every woman must learn to do. So you ask where is Ashley today? Well she is in a relationship and she credits her partner with the back of the envelope math that at various times was the light bulb moment that she needed to help her set the right path and remember I mentioned that she was made redundant at one point well she did finally treat herself to a little splurge and it has four legs and a mane yep all those years after she spent that time in Spain riding horses she finally got her own horse so these days she hits the beach with her horse and her dog and reflects on the journey that got her there Growing up, I used to have a horse, and horses need stuff, a lot of stuff. So she bought a horse float and a four-wheel drive to tow it, but fear not, she paid cash for both. No more lease cars for Ashley. Her weakness and splurge is buying gear for her horse, but she is super disciplined these days, and if she is going to buy something new, she has to sell something old in order to pay for it. This stops her having too much gear, and it makes her really consider each purchase. And that leads her into considering buying herself a lifestyle property to put that horse on because it won't fit in her own yard. She pays for it to graze on a property close by. My first reaction to this was, oh no, here we go again down the debt highway. She had been saving money and stashing it close at hand in term deposits so she could put a healthy down payment on a lifestyle property, but then, thank goodness, she backed away from the idea of chaining herself to debt once again. She has concluded that a lifestyle property is such an oxymoron as you work so hard in your day job to pay the mortgage and spend all of your weekend time fixing up the place, you're weeding it, you're mowing it, etc., that the time you have to spend with the animals that you actually bought the property for in the first place is so low. So she has taken a pause from that line of thinking because now that she is out of debt, living in a house that is now valued at about $430,000, she has $150,000 in savings. Yep, you heard me right. She is extremely reluctant to get herself into any form of debt again. So her horse lives off site perfectly happily and she drives up to ride it whenever she feels like it. And now that she has her horse and other pets, she has something wonderful to focus on and she feels like she is really getting the lifestyle she deserves and worked for. 
and now with no debt and money and savings, she is able to pick and choose the contracts that she takes on. She chooses jobs and hours of work according to whether she finds them interesting or not and whether they allow her time for her horse and other pets as well. Paying off her house and having a large stash of cash so quickly was surprising to me, but she managed to pay debt and save concurrently. But as she has spent the last number of years being extremely, probably painfully frugal, focused and disciplined, the result of saving over 50% of what you earn is that cash piles up pretty quickly. And now that she is backed away from the life sentence property, she is at the point of needing to make a good decision with the money that she has set aside because she understands that term deposits are not a good long-term solution for her because their returns are too poor, too low. She has laddered all of her term deposits and they are with several banks because as she built up a lump sum, she looked around for the best deal she could find at the time. She has them broken up into $20,000 and $50,000 amounts and she considers that money tucked away and she actually just pretends that she does not have it. But in the back of her mind, she knows that one of these at least would act as her emergency fund if needed. And now she is researching what to do next. She is consulting with her mum. She's reading the likes of J.L. Collins, who is an advocate of index funds, and she is now on the next step of her journey, really. She has spent so many years hustling her way out of debt, focused on giving all of her money to the bank. Now it is piling up in her own bank, and she needs to educate herself as to what to do with it. And she said that learning and educating herself on stuff she does not know about is really empowering to her, and that is very much where she finds herself right now in this new phase of learning. She is already dipping in and out of retirement with decent breaks of many months between each contract she takes on and her goal now is to find balance between working and keeping an eye on the future and living for today where she no longer sleepwalks through her finances. She said that because so many people are mortgaged up to the hilt, they don't have time to smell the roses. So for her, she is making sure that her life is in balance because both your health and your wealth are equally important and you can't have one without the other. To me, Ashley is also an example of you actually don't need that much cash put aside to step back from work a bit. If someone asked you today, how much do you need to retire, what would you say? Often it is a number with a million dollars attached to it. But in my experience of talking to people about their money, that is simply not true. You do need multiples of the money it costs you to live on each month. So if Ashley can, for example, live on $2,000 per month, then having $24,000 put away will see her right for a year. So therefore, Ashley could more or less stop work for six years and be okay. I asked Ashley the question, if you could retain all of the knowledge that you have today regarding money and could go back to your 15-year-old self and start again, what would you do, whether it be the same or something different? Remarkably, she said it would probably be the same, which surprised me. She told me that she learns by doing. If she is told that the stove is hot, don't touch it. She needs to touch it anyway to find out for herself. And because of all of her experiences, both negative and positive, she has learned so many lessons along the way and they have all led her to the full life that she's living now. I was interested to know what book or good find or podcast or blog that she would recommend to you and I. She has given me a few and I'll link to them all in my show notes on thehappysaver.com. She really likes J.L. Collins' blog. She thinks he is just so logical and simple. She particularly liked his post, Why Your House is a Terrible Investment, which I thought was ironic given the fact that she fought so hard to hold on to hers, but it helped her answer the question of how much money is a good amount of money to have tied up in a house, and it probably helped her decide to step back from buying a much more expensive lifestyle property. 
She likes my blog, thehappysaver.com, because it is New Zealand-based. Thank you, so kind. Uh, And she likes the Four Pillar Freedom blog. This blog summarises the bet that Warren Buffett made when he wiped the floor with active investors in his 10-year bet. And Ashley also credits a book called The Trick to Money is Having Some by Stuart Wilde. She reflected that the funny part about acquiring this book was that she found it in a charity shop for the princely sum of $2, which she didn't even have on her. Her partner actually bought it for her, but she has since paid it forward by buying this for another friend. And she discovered it in those early years, and the Amazon descriptions describe it like this. In this book, Stuart Wilde shows you that money is merely a form of energy, and that the difference between having it and not having it is merely a small but subtle shift in consciousness. And she credits this book with helping her negotiate better and better pay rises over the years, and she also refers back to it when she needs to give herself a bit of a pep talk. She also referred to another four-pillar freedom post called The Status Game, and this post reminds her not to buy into the hype of wanting the latest clothes, car, house, or whatever. For Ashley, living frugally is not about depriving herself. It is enabling her to only let the things into her life that she needs, and the biggest asset she is reaching for is maximum enjoyment out of life. I quite like that. Budgets Are Sexy posted an article called How a Journal Completely Changed My Finances, which she enjoyed. And I know that for creative people, journaling is a really powerful tool in planning their future and reflecting on where they have been. And finally, getting out and talking about the FIRE concept, financial independence, retire early, and learning from real people and starting the dialogue is also incredibly valuable to her as a way of learning. Before I wrap up, I have another quick message from today's sponsor. They help me bring this podcast to you for free, which is the exact amount of money this super frugal Ashley likes to spend. A huge thank you to Super Life Invest for helping me bring this episode to you today. Remember that Super Life, which is managed by SmartShares, is your home for savings and investments, offering both low fees and a broad range of investment options to choose from. Visit superlife.co.nz to download a copy of the product disclosure statement and sign up to Super Life Invest. This podcast was a hard one to weave together and write, and a long one, because Ashley's journey was convoluted, but the summary is that she had an eight-year journey out of debt, and today she finds herself with $150,000 in savings, and she is adding to this each and every month without fail. She built up a business only to close it down. She entered a marriage and extracted herself slowly and painfully. Uh, She also faced the reality of the huge debt she had slowly taken on and began the arduous crawl out from underneath it. And she ate a lot of wheat bix and slapped on a lot of lipstick and smiles to achieve it too. When I think of Ashley, I think of the whack-a-mole game where the mole pops up and gets slammed down only to pop up somewhere else. And next time I take on something where I think that I might have bitten off far more than I can chew, I'm going to remember those words of her uncle and just chew like mad too. So today Ashley is living the life she wants and she has that elusive thing many of us look for, freedom to do what we want to do and she manages to work for stretches of time on a very good salary that she fights for and then spend the time in between contracts with the animals she loves, in the house that she loves, on the beach that she loves. She said to me in an email, so I have the lifestyle and all the pleasure that goes with leading a fulfilled life, still following the frugal path. Now, a huge thank you to Ashley for sharing her money journey. She is such a strong and independent woman who got a few things wrong, as we all do, but over time she has got a lot of things right too, and I think we can all take a few pointers from her that are relevant to our own lives. 
That's all from me this week. I'll be back next Wednesday with another money journey of another Kiwi. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit subscribe and it will automatically update in your podcast app each time I release a new episode. And if you want to get in touch, you can find me at thehappysaver.com. And I would love it if you could give me a five-star review in iTunes and share it with your friends. Those are the best ways that people can learn about my podcast. And I would also love it if you would talk more about money with your own friends and help me continue to help others be better with money. So until next time, happy saving.